Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, to chat, chat to some of the most interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry in of self-publishing and writing. And today we have a very topical and very timely guest. She is Patrice Williams-Marks, the world's number one sensitivity reader, here to talk to us about sensitivity readers and why authors uh, might consider using the services of a sensitivity reader. We are delighted to have you, Patrice. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, and I like the word world number one. I didn't throw that in myself, but that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I've elevated you, but I mean, to be honest, who's to, who's to argue? Who's to argue? If anyone yeah. wants to come up against that, leave a comment down below, but I, I think that's, that's a pretty safe thing. Uh, and of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, uh, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, Roland. And uh, thanks for coming on, Patrice. Um, yeah, you know, like, if you Google sensitivity reader, you're the one who comes up, right? So that makes you number one. Google's not just in the US. It's, uh, it's worldwide. So, you know, yes. uh, you are the one that everyone goes to to talk to uh, when they want to talk uh, sensitivity reader. You're the, uh, the person that it seems to be, uh, you know, in the in all, any kind of news story or magazine article about sensitivity reader, it seems to be uh, that you're the one interviewed. So I think um, you are number one in our books, at least. All so right. can you first of all, let's can you tell us uh, a lot of authors, um, listeners probably uh, don't even know what a sensitivity reader is. So maybe let's start off by talking about that. What exactly is a sensitivity reader and uh, maybe even how did you get involved in it? Sure. Well, we're also called like diversity editors as well. And it's just another form of editing, you know, something that a writer can use as part of their toolbox. But sensitivity reading is best. Basically, if you're an author, let's say you're an author and you're writing a book and you have you're writing a story about a black community and a black store and a black family. However, you're not black and you're not familiar with black communities and you love, you love your story so much that these are the characters that you want to create, but you're unfamiliar. And only thing you have to fall back on is say what you see on television or the news. And so you might have, um, a different view of the community than they actually are. And so people hire um, people like me, authors, publishing houses, um, gaming companies, even marketing companies. Um, they hire people who fit the type of character that they've written or created. And they would like you to look over their material to see if there's any uh, miss direction if there's um, if it's inauthentic if there's even racism involved and they don't know it if there's a um if you've written a character that is full of stereotype or tropes and they just want to make sure that um they haven't done that and so they find somebody who fits the type of character they've written whether it be a minority or say someone who's physically challenged or someone who is um, familiar with um, the mental health system or the foster care system, and you just find that type of sensitivity reader to read over your material. And then they'll give you your thought, their thoughts on what they think, if they find something that they think you might need to address. And you, and you put a report together and you explain your reasoning. And with me personally, I do. I put little notes on the manuscript and then I expound on those notes um, in a large report, sometimes 10, 20, 30 pages, depending on how much material I'm reading. And I'll expound on why I, be why I believe this might be a problem and why I feel this way. And then I provide links and research notes for them to further explore uh, instead of just taking my word for it. And then once we turn that to them, then it's up to them to decide if they're going to use any or all of our suggestions or comments. So it's it's just information that we give them, and it's up to them to decide what to do with it. 
that's a really important distinction, which I think a lot of people don't know. Those, obviously, at the moment, there are lots of people discussing sensitivity readers because of books. Have done that. And I think that there's that connection where you give your suggestions and it's up to the publishers which ones they adopt and which ones they don't. So ultimately, it's their decision. Everyone's always blaming sensitivity readers, whereas really it's the publisher at the end of the day who decides what to keep and what to take away. Yes, because we don't have any special powers to put an X over everything, you know, that's offensive or might have an issue, you know, but we just point it out to them and explain why. But I also point out what I love about the material and, you know, the the characters. And because I'm a writer myself, I even sometimes give them advice on further developing characters or storylines. And I add that to the uh, report that I give them. So that it's a well-rounded report. It's not just um, this is what you need to change, but this is what works and this is what I really like. And this is where you might, you know, you could improve. Yeah, you know, the, it's these days it's it's so much more important than it's ever been. You know, there's all sorts of things in the news lately that we're talking about uh, uh, where, you know, books are being edited. uh many, many years after they've been written or, or, you know, people are finding social media backlash against things that they've said or written. Um, and so, you know, and, and oftentimes it was not done out of malice. It was simply done, you know, for those old books, it was a product of their time. Uh, that's just the way the culture was at that time. And, and, and it's debatable whether or not we should be applying our current morals against the, those past ones, but in certainly in, today's culture you know where you're writing something currently you definitely want to be sure that you're you're being sensitive to to everybody and um it's not always something that you have the experience enough to know like you said i just because i'm watching a movie about uh you know lgbtq people doesn't mean that i feel qualified to now go write a book about it um, you know, you you can and you can certainly include those characters in your book, but you want to make sure you do it right. And that's where um, mm-hmm. people like you would come in to make sure that um, it really is being done right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, super important. So it's almost like a, a type of beta reading uh, or, as you said, as a type of editing, too. I guess it's a lot. It's a little bit more involved than just a, a regular beta read. Yes. And um, I consider it more of a developmental edit Um, and I get those from um, whenever I'm writing a novel and I mean it can change the course of my novels like I did not see that oh my goodness there is a big gaping hole where there shouldn't be one oh I dropped this point you know so on and so forth and so I just consider it another form of of editing and it's only to help the writer and, and you know, in, increase their, you know, increase the authenticity of their material. I think authenticity sounds like the, 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 such incredible value because I think, Ed, you know, for me, if I was writing a novel and I wanted to have uh, a black American character in there, I'm white. I grew up on a farm in England. I have no idea what that character mm-hmm. experience is like. And yet it would seem like a wonderful opportunity to talk to a sensitivity reader like you. So you actually can write something that comes across, this character comes across as authentic and, you know, doesn't come across as the trope written by some white guy from from England. Um, Because the alternative is I just choose not to write about characters like that, which is almost a pity. It's like you want to have characters, a diverse group of characters in in your books, but you want them to be authentic and sound real and, and reflect real life and real people's experiences. Yes. It's like about 10, 12 years ago, I wrote a screenplay and it was called um, the river and the ribbon. And it was basically a true story about a British explorer. Uh, His name was Baker and his wife, Florence, He actually found her at age 18 on a slave block in uh, Bulgaria, and she came from an aristocratic family in Hungary, and he was just shocked to see her, so he buys her freedom, and then the two kind of fall in love, and then they, they go on this epic journey to discover the source of the Nile, and this took place like in the late 1800s. 
And so I wrote everything I could up to a certain point, you know, what I could find online. Um, It was a dramatization of a true story, but I still wanted it to be authentic. So I contacted the um, Royal Geographical Society in London, and I asked if I could read the original manuscripts from the bakers. And they allowed me to do so, but they said, first, you have to get the approval of the family. And they live, um, you know, so they contacted the family for me, and they lived in Salisbury. And so they approved me to go read the manuscripts, and I found so much more rich information that I could add to the story. And then I took a train to Salisbury, met with the family, and they allowed me to read an original diary they had from Florence Baker. And um, we just had a wonderful time. And then I asked them, I said, after I finished writing it, can I send it to you to see if I... Uh, if there's some gaping holes or something I'm missing, you said I wanted to be, I said, even though it's fictionalized, I want it to be as accurate as possible. And they said, sure. So I sent the screenplay to them and then they took notes, sent it back to me. And it's like, wow, I mean, I really got so much from their insight because it was their relative. You know, and so, and that could be considered sensitivity reading. I didn't even think of it as such at the time, but I was just seeking somebody who had a background and was connected to the story that, um, in a way that I wasn't. Maybe we need to rebrand it. Maybe the everyone's getting upset because of sensitivity reading, but really, it's authenticity reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that's a big, big part of it. And um, probably in some cases, it's more authenticity than because even if you're even if you're writing something that, um, you know, it, it doesn't have anything offensive in it doesn't mean that you are capturing the essence of, you know, that culture or those people um, in a way that, you know, somebody reading it uh, that knows more about it would be like, uh, you know, that's that's not how. It goes, you know, even if they're not offended by it, you know, they might not think, yeah, that's not right. Um, So if, if it's more like a dev edit, it sounds like it might be, uh, you know, fairly expensive compared to, you know, like a beta reading is, is the chart, like, do you typically charge based on, um, you know, the size of the work that you need to look at because i imagine you know there'll be cases where you need to read a whole book and there might be cases where hey you know i have this character but they're only really in chapter you know three four and five so you only really need to read that part of it so is it like you know are you are you charging sort of based on like the size of what you need to read or is it a flat fee or you know how is that generally done well i um i charge based on word count And so, um, so it is a sliding scale and I, I, the cheapest I think I've ever done was probably $200 and uh, the most expensive was for a a 70,000 word novel and that was a little over a thousand and that person got probably a 25, 30 page report and, um, you mentioned something else too. I'm almost forgetting. I wanted to um, wanted to bring it up when you were talking about pricing. Hopefully, I'll remember it um, while you ask the next question. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the only other thing I mentioned was just whether or not you need to always read the whole manuscript basis oh, versus. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's it. Well, I don't know how other sensitivity readers do it, but uh, me personally and how I teach it is that um, I don't cherry pick. It's like if they say there's only, oh, here's a podcast transcript. We only want you to read, you know, these first three pages. But I have to see how they're presented in the entire context of the story. And so I always read the entire thing and not just a chapter where somebody isn't, um, you know, we're, we're, they're worried about that one particular character because that's how that's how I work and I want to see the whole picture and not just parts of it. Right. Okay. That's good to know. So um, I imagine because a sensitivity reader, um, 
I mean, you had mentioned before, sometimes uh, or a lot of times people would contact somebody who has more knowledge uh, about that culture or um, whatever it is that they're that they want to read, uh, have a sensitivity read about. Uh, so I imagine that each sensitivity reader specializes in uh, certain things. So you can't do necessarily all the you know, every type of sensitivity read, you probably have certain ones that you can do. And then if you can't do it, maybe you pass it on to somebody else or how does that work? Yes, I, we all have our own niches. And that's the first thing you should figure out is what your life experience is. Um, I had about two, about six months ago, I did one from an author from England and she had very specific needs that coincidentally I fit all three of them. She was writing about a black family where the family were Jehovah's Witnesses and where they had they had children that they were in the home through the foster care system. Well, I'm black. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness, so I know a lot about it and I still have family members that are. And I'm a foster mom to infants right now. I'm, I'm like in a trend when they're in a transition period, when their family needs to get approved to take the child like a family member. I usually have the child for a month or two before they move on to a family member. And so that's pretty unique. And so and it was really kind of exciting to work with them. And they were happy to find somebody who could hit, you know, all the areas that they were interested in. But you know, those are some of my niches. And the ones that I pass on are sometimes people want uh, African character. And even though I'm black, it's still not my specialty. So I can forward them to somebody else. Or there's a lot of LGBTQ plus characters that I refer to other people or uh, anything to do with mental health or little people or even veterans or people who've experienced homelessness or live in, you know, urban, tough urban communities. Um, those are all different niches. There's a lot of niches. And so um, I obviously can't fit all of those. And I make sure I want to give them um, the best opportunity and the best person for their project. So that's why I created the database so that I can refer them to somebody who would be a better fit. That seems very conscientious. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's all about, you know, helping people who are reaching out, who, you know, really care about what they're putting out in the world. It also sounds like in a lot of cases, you must be um, sending us a, a piece of work out to more than one beta reader, right? Like, I mean, in your example, you fit all three, but if you didn't, potentially they would have had to send that out mm -hmm. to three different or three different sensitivity readers on beta read. Yes. Mm -hmm. When I, um, I always have a contract that um, both parties sign and I say that, you know, I'm only one sensitivity reader and you might get a different opinion by, from somebody else. So it's always good to hire more than one, especially if um, I don't hit all the you know, tick all the boxes of the different type of people you're concerned about that you've you know, written in your story. And if you're, if you read something, uh, let's say they thought that you would be a good fit and you read it and you see that there's some other issue in there that you're not a good fit for, I guess you would tell them, Hey, you probably want to get a sensitivity reader for, for this issue. Cause I saw it in there and you know, yeah. Yes. In fact, I've done that. And I do that in uh, the written reports that I give them if I think they would benefit from, you know, a sensitivity reader with a different niche than my own. Right. So what type of person would want, like, you know, this is basically, you know, it's a job. Uh, mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to become a sensitivity reader, what sort of qualifications do they need and, and how would they get started in that? Yeah, well, for, I do have a free email course that kind of explains all of that. It's like a seven-day course, and it walks you through the basics and determining if it's something you'd want to do. But uh, for the most part, I'd say you'd have to be an avid reader. You have to love to read. 
And it'd be even better if you were a writer yourself so that you can add a different element um, to the reports that you give them. Um, you have to be very professional and treat it as a business. And, you know, coming up with, and this is stuff that I provide to people too, you know, coming up with agreements that you both follow with the timeline of when they're going to get their report, how much it's going to be, what they're going to cover, you know, how many words are in the document, you know, that sort of thing. So um, people have to have a, I think, a giving spirit too, because a lot of these projects are small projects. You're not going to be making a lot of money off of them, but you are going to be, you know, helping change the trajectory of somebody's project if it's something that they want to change. And it feels good when um, you get, you know, responses from people that say, you know, this really helped me. Thank you so much. You know, so if you, if you already have a, a spirit of wanting to help people, you're an avid reader, you know how to take care of business, you're very professional, or you can learn to be, um, and you like writing, then, and you have life experiences that people are seeking, and there are a lot of them, because sensitivity readers aren't just LGBTQ or minority readers. They could also be, you know, somebody who is a little person, somebody who's experienced homelessness, you know, and so that's like the whole gambit or a veteran. Um, so, you know, that encompasses everybody, uh, pretty much everybody. So, um, and I think that's wonderful so that more people have access to, you know, the type of uh, person that they need for their project. It's um, so when when people come to you, I I guess they don't word it like I, I think when we're when we're talking about and we're sort of trying to avoid the topic of like uh, editing older books, then it's almost like people come and say what's going to offend people. Whereas it seems like people who come to you when they're writing a book, they're not really worried about offending people. They just want that authenticity. So is that how yeah. that's is that what people ask you when they, they come and approach you? It's like what or what do they need out of, out of your services? Well, that's the when they come to my website and they fill out a form, I ask them specifically, what are you looking for? What are you concerned about? Um, and, and then we jump off from there and they discuss with, well, I've got a black character that does this and that, or I've got a character that would have you and I'm concerned about. And so that's what I address and I um, latch onto and that's what I, um, that's how I approach reading their material in a way that they express that they wanted, you know, assistance with. So if you, if you were to um, have an author come to you to ask whether or not uh, they even need it, uh, you know, like what, what sort of things, should they be thinking about because it it seems like it's it's often a very broad sort of topic and you don't always know um that you've included something that uh we've talked about this before in terms of like like research a lot of times let's say you're writing a book that is set in some other country or historical or whatever and you're writing it and you and you get something very wrong but you you don't even know that you have done that right because you don't even know what you don't know kind of thing right so uh often i guess some authors might not realize that they even need a beta uh or sorry a sensitive sensitivity reader what sort of questions should be asking themselves to i guess determine that is there some way that people can sort of figure that out well i think it just depends first they can say um how did I come to the conclusion of uh, creating these characters? What is my experience? What is, you know, what is my background? Um, do I know people like this? And is this how um, I see them because I'm a friend of theirs or they're a friend of mine, you know, so on and so forth. Or if they approached it as I know nothing about this community, but I'm really, um, it's important to me to write this story. Um, and I'm just going to wing it, 
um, those are the people who usually uh, come to me, um, ones who aren't familiar with uh, the black community or don't have close friends because you really don't need a sensitivity reader if you have a friend. You know, that's the <laughs> that's the type of character that you've written. You can just ask them, um, what do you think about this? You know, so you don't have to go. But I'm for people who don't have access to that and um, want to make sure that it's nothing, you know, that they've written. Um, because everybody's come to me doesn't believe they've written um, something um, that has issues. They just want to be sure. And more than likely, I do find stuff. And there's there's usually a pattern of um, things that I find um, that I that I um, bring out to them and give them the history behind it and and uh, why I believe that it should be addressed. Yeah, I wonder. I sometimes wonder if uh, it's the people that don't come to you that probably need it more than <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Because they lack, lack the self-awareness to know right. that maybe. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah but some think... of the standard tropes that I see um, that people have issues uh, with are they'll, they'll have an older Black character, and they and this is odd. I didn't realize it till I started reading it over and over again, but they'll have an older Black character with a frozen arthritic hand, and it's like, oh, that's weird. You know, why, where did that come from? What happened? But there's no explanation. And so, and I've seen that over and over again. And then I see people who um, don't have backstories for their black characters, but they have rich black um, backstories for the other characters. And they only describe them by the color of their skin. And um, but they don't describe the other characters by the color of their skin. So that's something that I mentioned. Or they might have a trope. One of the tropes is um, a magical Negro where this person just is there just to service the character. And there's no backstory. You don't you know, why are they there? Um, But it's just to service another character like um, Will Smith did a movie called Bagger Vance. And um, that was a a magical Negro uh, type of scenario. Or they'll have an older black woman as an oracle, you know, mystical oracle. And, you know, Matrix. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking The Stand by Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah. We could probably we could probably all come up with about ten examples of that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm sorry, my phone. Okay. My I keep thinking of uh, more of which is it's probably also a trope the the older uh, um, wise black man that's giving advice and and what always comes to my mind is Morgan Freeman for some reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's him to a T, but he does it so well though. Yeah, right, yeah. And I always have his voice, his awesome voice in my yeah. head. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. But I guess also, depending on where you come from, you see characters like that in popular fiction. You see Morgan Freeman in pretty much anything playing playing roles like that. And there's like as a British guy, for example, you know, you want that in your story. You want the gravitas that he brings to your story. Mm-hmm. But then again, you don't understand. I mean, I don't understand mm-hmm. the the uh-huh. cultural significance of his character because, you know, American for a start and, and, you know, what race means in America. So I think, yeah, it, I can definitely see the value in what you bring when people like me are crafting stories. They want to have characters like that, but at the same time, yeah, to try and avoid these these tropes and these stock yes. characters and kind of reduce people down, as you said, to the color of their skin. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And describing their skin by, you know, food, you know, like a chocolate, you know, and cocoa and this and that, you know, um, which actually has, um, it comes from a history of the way slaves were um, described um, during, you know, before Reconstruction, during, you know, slavery period. And so it happened, and not everyone's going to know that or even think about that, you know, but it's still interesting to know, you know, where that came from. And, And if you're using it that way, that it does have that type of history behind it. 
now you mentioned i mean obviously you're the world's greatest uh, <laughs> arena but you, you mentioned earlier you hadn't described the world because it seems to me that you know race in um, in america specifically is like so unique compared to how it is everywhere else in the world often because in other countries there wasn't that kind of diversity but also america's history of race is like so uh problematic shall we say uh that it, it seems you know anybody not born in america really doesn't understand anything to do with that oh you're so true because um last august for my birthday i went to kenya and tanzania the serengeti and we had you know a tour guide a cook and um a driver you know all kenyan and they didn't even know the concept of racism they never heard of it they never experienced it you know and so it was very you know it's very unique to um our country well a few other countries too but um it's definitely not something that every you know black person experiences especially if they're from um africa and they live there it's like when they come here they're just shocked and they you know it's 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 just something that they're not used to now would you say especially right now that uh some people when they hear about what you do uh, look at have sort of preconceptions and maybe even like negative preconceptions because I mean at the moment everybody's talking about these older books being edited by sensitivity readers and everyone's kind of equated like sensitivity readers they're going woke and stuff like this <laughs> speaking to you it's very clear that that's not what you do you look bring authenticity yeah. in but have you experienced any kind of like misunderstanding about what it is you do as, as a job and what you what value you bring to an author's work well, I have had people um, comment like on social media, but, you know, I just try to explain to them and, you know, and if they're open to, you know, listening to a response, you know, and hopefully they are. And I just explain to them that, you know, people come to me um, voluntarily. Uh, I'm an editor first and I'm there to, you know, help make their works better um, and more rich and more authentic. And what I give them is up to them um, as to what they'll use. And so it's not something that is forced or um, mandated or, um, you know, my changes are the gospel, you know, that's not it at all. So um, that's how I try to describe it. And do you ever get frustrated with the way authors uh, end up using your, your advice? Or do you just like hand it to them and be like, go, go on your own now? Or Because do, do, do some, some authors, you know, they'll, they'll accept it all. Maybe they'll accept some, maybe they'll accept none. Do you ever get any pushback? I guess it must be, the, that must be quite an interesting discussion to have. Yes, it is. But I, once I hand them the report, um, I give them two weeks to um, email me back and forth with questions that they have on it. And then after that, it's done. I don't I don't track what changes are made or anything like that, um, no matter who it is, if it's a independent author or, you know, I've done a screen a movie screenplays before. And I've also done um, books from publishing houses that have yanked books because you know people went crazy on twitter whatever because something there was some issue with the book you know so even in those situations i just give them my report and that's the end of it i don't track it and occasionally i have people um like authors send me a copy of their book saying you know thank you so much and they send me a copy which i think is pretty awesome but even then, I don't go through to see what changes, you know. Well, I guess they wouldn't send it to you if they'd ignored all your changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we made no changes. Here's the call. Yeah. <laughs> you got paid either way, so what do you care? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I like, I really like that you talked about, you know, the problem of no backstory and just sort of including the color of their skin uh, for the sake of, including the color of their, for the sake of having a black character or, or for the sake of having um, a gay or lesbian character, which is, I think, 
a big problem in today's society where we've kind of like, because everyone's woke and everybody's got to be inclusive. We've gone a little bit crazy where that's all they're doing. Like I, I cannot watch a show now where they are. It's not every single character pretty much is something, which is that's fine, true. but that's there's, true. but there's no reason for it. Right. And even if you watch commercials and I don't know if it's the same in the U S but here in Canada, Every commercial now is like, if there's a couple, they're a mixed race couple, like every time, <laughs> like every time. And it, it doesn't matter what it's about. It's never about that. Right. But it just happens to be like, you know, the man is black and the woman is Asian and they're just yeah. walking in to get their mortgage or whatever. Right. That's fine. It's, it's fine. But it's like, it's almost like, like we've gone a little bit overboard and people have lost the point of of all of this. And I like that, you know, you're keeping it on track on your end, at least, and the stuff that comes to you and saying, you know, great, I'm glad you're including these people, but maybe explain why, you know, something about them and not have them for the sake of having them, which is what's going on now. Well, we have that in the U.S. too, nothing but, you know, interracial couples for all the commercials. In fact, you know, my sister and I joke every time we see an actual black couple, it's like, you know, to a black man, a black woman, you know, you know, that's shocking, you know, in the commercials. So I see I know what you're talking about. Um, I One of the things that's going on with the, the James Bond books being revised is they use a lot of problematic language, obviously. Like even at the simple term, like you would describe a black person as a Negro person in the 1950s. And so the estate of Ian Fleming r- removed some uh, racial references completely. So there was a, a, a black doctor and now it's just a doctor. And I think the problem is they kind of missed the point that in 1958, yes. when he wrote about it, it was a big deal to have a black doctor. And that was kind of like, cool. I remember my father grew up in Jamaica in the, the 1940s and he had his tonsils oh. out uh, and his yeah. surgeon was black. And uh, to this day, he's like, it was amazing. Best doctor ever. Because in England, you didn't have black doctors. And so to oh, read wow. that in the book was quite important. And it mm-hmm. seems almost a little regressive when they take that out. Because, you know, that, that was a detail they put in for, for a reason. Yeah, I think so, too. But I heard with those same books, they didn't just, it wasn't just saying black doctor. They used the N-word. Uh, yeah, that's, well, exactly. They take it out, too. <laughs> And there was some like there's a, a coral formation in Jamaica that has, a, you know, is just was back then described with a word you wouldn't even say now. And it's like uh, that's that's when it becomes it becomes tricky. But it's almost as yeah. we talk about with the commercials, it's almost become regressive to the point that, oh, we need to have some we just tick boxes rather than have human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in that kind of a case, it's probably easier for them to just remove the reference because Ian Fleming's not around to sort of rewrite some of the stuff and, and add some backstory. I mean, you know, they could just just call him black or whatever, but then you still have the issue of why did you do it? And And to your point, there is a reason why, right? It was a big deal then. But in the context of today, when people are reading that, they don't they don't see that. Right. That con- that context is is missing on them because there's lots of black doctors. So they don't really get it. So to them, it's probably when they read it, it's just like they just put that in there for no reason. Right. I don't know. It's I, I, I don't agree with a lot of sort of like rewriting history stuff because it really does, uh, you know, kind of change. You know, we have to we have to judge things by, you know, the time they were written in. And we should have the intelligence uh, to do that without having to just rewrite everything to make it okay for today's society. I would rather we all just be educated a little bit more to understand, you know, the context of those things. But, you know. He didn't have the opportunity to work with you. I mean, there he was, some some 50-year-old British chap with his his cigarette typing on his golden typewriter. It wouldn't have been wonderful. And we have the wonderful opportunity now to be able to preemptively not make mistakes like this by working with people like you but but back then if he had sent it to a sensitivity reader would they even have uh, picked that up right or would it have been like well that's that's what how we say it now like that's, that's the way that we grow right? you know because <laughs> yeah. that's that was a common phrase back then negro yeah and it's um 
But yeah, I think it's it's one of the things that, that culture has become so much more sophisticated because of the fact, you know, we've got global communication and we can reach out to people in the countries that we're writing about and talk to them and, and yes. yeah. And I think social media. <laughs> absolutely. So what's a favorite book that you've worked on that you're proudest of? Well, actually, I have a confidentiality agreement that both of us signed, so I never mention the products or, or the material that I write, and the authors or publishers, uh, they never mention my name as well. And I do that because, um, as I said before, once I give them a re the report, you know, I, I wipe my hands of it. It's like I've done my job, and you can decide what to do with it. And let's say they decide not to use any of it, but say we used a sensitivity reader and this is her name, you know, then that would come back on me. And um, so that's why I have, uh, you know, we both agree that um, neither one of us are going to mention the other. <laughs> they can say they used a sensitivity reader, you know, and I talk in generalities about projects, but I never mention specific projects. That sounds very wise. When all the Roald Dahl stuff came up, they were they found the sensitivity reading company, uh, inclusive oh. minds. They're called in London. They were like, "Oh, this is outrageous!" The sensitivity readers—they're <laughs> all aged between eight and thirty. They don't understand and stuff. So you're right. Uh, By having that anonymity, you protect yourself. You protect the author, yeah. and that. And I think that protects the, the valid validity and authenticity of, of what you provide. Yes, I think so, too. Yeah. And you know what? I feel like um, maybe not so much when we're uh, doing it against older books, but people that are doing stuff now, uh, authors or companies that are hiring a sensitivity reader. I have a feeling that most of them probably don't want to admit that they used one. They want to seem like they already knew, they, you know, what they probably. wrote was, you know, that, that's the way that they talk and that's how they under, they really understand that culture. You know, they don't want to admit true. that they had somebody go through it. All right. Oh, that's yeah. very true. I'm sure. They want to keep it under wraps. The only way you actually find out about it is if there was a firestorm or something on Twitter where um, they had to yank something back, you know, because it was, you know, egregious in some form or fashion. Which hopefully with you, they, they won't be. That's the whole. Yeah, the exactly. None of my projects, hopefully. <laughs> Do you find that authors sometimes you know, express to you that they perhaps become better writers having worked with you? Having, yeah, you know, I actually have, and that's what makes me feel so good. Is that um, they said I never thought about that, and um, I come up with ideas for backstories for their characters sometimes, or I come across. Um, I might even mention a scene that might be missing. Or another way to make the character more rich. And, you know, I get thanked for that all the time. It makes me feel good. And I've been told, too, in a, another interview that I had done, they had said, well, does it, um, does it make you feel bad that you don't get credit, you know, if you've rewritten something and it just shows as the author's writing it? And I said, no, doesn't make me feel bad at all. For one thing, I don't know what they're using because I don't follow through on it to see what they use. Um, and second, it makes me feel good that they trust me enough and think that I added value enough to their material. Well, that's why you're the number one sensitivity reader. <laughs> In the world. <laughs> In the world. In the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So um, playing devil's advocate, this is not a question I'm asking you because I think it's not really valid. But one person had spoken to me and said, like, well, if you hire a sensitivity reader, of course, they're going to find something to be sensitive about, which I can. And uh, as a criticism, I don't think that's a valid criticism. We're talking to you and it's very clear about what you provide. And it's not that. But as a criticism, how would you respond to that? Well, that's funny because occasionally I do get projects where it's like, why did they hire me? I see nothing <laughs> wrong here, you know? And so, in fact, that was with a screenplay that I had read. And I thought, hmm. And I did, couldn't even tell who the Black characters were. I had to contact them and said, who exactly are the Black characters? And then they told me. And I said, hmm, okay. And so I mostly, I, I let them know that. I said, you know what? You know, this is fantastic. You know, I, there, I, 
the, these are the normal tropes that I usually see, and I didn't see any of that. So this is for you to look at in case you hire an additional screenwriter and then they want to throw something in there. I said, this is what you can look out for. But so that's what I hand, that's how I handled it. But yeah, I get, I get not a lot, but I get, I've gotten a handful of ones that didn't really need me. Now, in a book like that, that's, I was reading a, a thriller the other day and I got halfway through it and they described one of the characters who I had in my brain. I had like, he was being played by, I think, Matthew McConaughey in my brain. And mm -hmm. I like all the way through. And suddenly it turns out then for the first time, they dropped the fact that he was African-American. And I had uh -huh. And so I was like, oh, okay, we need to recast this character. And it's funny, when you have a character who's who's black and they might not necessarily let, when you said, when you had to ask who were the black characters, do you think that's, you know, something they might want to think about? Maybe they need to actually uh, ex to describe that in more detail, or is that something that just doesn't matter? They're just characters. Yeah, well, I just, I asked them, I said, um, do you want them, or is there a reason why you didn't, refer to them by race all of your characters in there and they said oh we just didn't want to um label just them and not the other characters so i said well there's another way you can make sure people know they're black without mentioning their race and I, it's by describing their hair or um clothing and I gave them different examples so that people would go, oh, okay, this is a black character without them saying this is a black character. Could you give some examples of that? I was just going to say, because avoiding like his chocolate skin or something for the, exactly the reasons you mentioned earlier. You can say, you know, like her, her kinky hair, you know, came to her shoulders or even um, a name that you might use like Tanisa or something like that, or, um describing you know what they're wearing if they're if they're like a hip-hop type of artist or something like that or if it's something very distinctive for the type of character that they are and if they're black can even say wearing a daishiki if there's somebody who's involved with um uh you know fight the power and and um civil rights or you know that type of character so it just depends on who you know, what character I see, and then I come up with ways for them to describe that character without using race, if that's something that they want. It's it's interesting, too, because in that case that, you know, in that, in that screenplay, if there's nothing in the screenplay itself that tells you the race of the characters, then why did they specifically want those characters to be a specific race, right? Is that sort of a, a a thing that we were talking about before? They just wanted to have some black characters, or was there a reason that wasn't clear from from the? And in which case, maybe it needed to be clear. I, I, it seems odd that you know you couldn't even tell, and then you know, but there are specific characters, and it's a screenplay, so it's like they want them to be seen in a book. You just you, you know you don't mention it; doesn't matter, whatever. But in a screenplay you know, they're saying, I want this to be played by a black character. Well, why? Right. Yeah. It's like, that was an unusual situation for me. Um, me having to ask, you know, who they were. And so that's why I came up with different ways for them to describe the characters with gold hoop earrings and, you know, describing what they're wearing, but yeah, it, the, the race of the characters, uh, really did not have anything to do with the storyline, but neither did the race of the other characters as well. So they just, you know, they wrote everybody the same with a backstory, but um, no description of the type of, um, you know, race or creed that they were. That's That must be quite refreshing to read, because then when you make a movie of it, you can cast whoever you want. Yeah, that's well, that's true. that's what I was thinking is like if you wrote it like that, then you could cast whoever you want. Yeah, but it seemed like they had specific characters where they said this person is, should be. Yeah, and that that's almost those two things don't really make sense. Like either you you write it that way so you could cast anyone, or you have specific characters that are like that for a reason. Seems like neither of those was true, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of being able to cast anybody, but in this particular one, they specifically wanted, you know, two of these characters to be black. And I don't know why. 
as it's a uh, it's a fantasy you know story and so um maybe they just wanted diversity i don't know probably <laughs> well unfortunately we are coming up to the top of the hour this is a fascinating discussion though i have to admit i've really been enjoying this and i've learned a lot and it's been such an interesting perspective because i've been so you know uh, uh up to the elbows and everything going on with them editing older books it's, I, but i do so see the value in in what you offer for readers and, and culture as a whole so i'm sorry that the we you know maybe we'll have to, to have you back for another discussion at some point but before we wrap things up craig do you have any more questions I feel the same way. It's really, really important topic. And um, it's something that a lot of authors don't really use uh, probably to the extent that they need to. I mean, not everyone does, but, um, you know, some people do. <laughs> and uh, and it's not just a matter of just having any old editor or any old uh, beta reader give you advice. Like you need somebody who has the experience to give you uh, the insight that you need, not only to make sure that you're handling characters sensitively, but also for, like we said, the authenticity uh, that it adds to your story. So thanks for coming in and, and talking about that. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, where can people find find you and find your services online? I mean, obviously we'll pop a link down below, but why don't you uh, let them know right now if they're listening or watching. Okay, great. Well, my personal website is patricewilliamsmarks.com. And then I have a course where I teach people to be sensitivity readers. And the first step is taking a free e-course. And that's at sensitivityreviews.com. And so you take the, you know, seven-day course. And by the end of the seventh day, you'll know if this is something for you or not for you. And uh, then you can proceed from there if you want to decide to go further into um, becoming a sensitivity and uh, reader and and uh, running a business professionally and how to find clients and how to have them find you. Um, I cover all of that. That is wonderful. Well, we will make sure to pop a link down below. And if you've been watching this and uh, or listening to this and found what Patrice has said valuable, please let us know in the comment section down below. Leave a comment, hit that like button. If you haven't done it already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Patrice, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fascinating discussion. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. It sure has been fun. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, stay tuned. <laughs>